It's time for Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Now, settle down and listen up. It's time for Lax Class. What's up, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to Lax Class. On the home of Lacrosse Classified, the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network for EP 180. Yes, indeed, EP 180. I've been waiting a long time to to get that sound drop in there. I've been looking for one of my. To... That's one of my favorite calls in all of sports, especially it's being so a sports good. broadcaster. 180. I should have got you to do it. Honestly, ever though, called, ever when, called darts PXP for sports? No, but I think I could fake my way through it. And just to add to it, like, you know, darts get shown on TSN from time to time. And it's not quite like how it used to be where the participants would be into the into the Barleys. And but the fans there, Brad, go absolutely <laughs> like and there's thousands of them watching darts just getting liquored out of their minds. I, it's on my list to just go to somewhere in England and just check one of these things out one day. Bowling too. I'll throw bowling in that category because you watch bowling on TSN and their fans go hard yeah. too. And those guys too, they're not boozing anymore, but you know, they're the nerdy guys with the big fist pumps and it's, it's conducive uh, it's a, to drinking these, these sports, darts, one handed sports. Bowling. Every one handed sport is a drinking sport. Indeed it is. Uh, welcome to Lax class. Welcome back, Brad. Uh, happy Monday to you here on a dreary Monday afternoon as we record EP. One hundred and eighty. Uh, so lots to talk about here on the program. Let's get this out of the way off the top. We got two great guests in rookie for Panther City Lacrosse Club. Love this guy's story. And we're going to talk about it all with him in Dean Farrell, who will come up in quarter number two. And then in quarter three, we welcome back Mr. 400 to the podcast. Todd LeBranch, who refereed his 400th National Lacrosse League game on Saturday night. We were there for it as well. And Todd's coming back on the podcast just to kind of go over the night and, and his illustrious future Hall of Fame career that has spanned 21 years and has shown no signs of slowing down. So Todd LeBron's coming up in quarter three. We got who you got week 21 coming up in quarter four, along with lax class locks hit my parlay last week, Brad. So put the, put the jumbo bucks in the people's pockets over the weekend, which I'm always happy to do. And we'll have another parlay for you in quarter number four with lax class locks. Here in quarter one, it's Stampede Stallions, the week that was, and who we had. Before we get into all that, man, how was uh, the rest of the weekend? I know you got Easter. Happy Easter, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Happy Easter. Yeah, still got one more dinner to go here tonight. Ham. It'll be ham and turkey tonight at my brother-in-law's place. And what do you prefer? What what do you prefer? Depends. Depends what kind of mood I'm in. And on a nice dark meat turkey with cranberry and gravy and mashed potatoes, I don't know if you can really beat that, but a nice glazed maple <laughs> oh, ham, too, goes, a, lo- goes a long way. You're making me... I kind of had Easter lunch. Danny made these potatoes 
that I she's never made for me before. I I don't know what she called it, like hash brown casserole or something. Brad, these mm. are like I I I felt guilty because I was like going back for seconds and third. This is a problem for me. These things are so good. You gotta try them. But next time yeah, we get invited good. over to Casa Challenger, if if we're ever well, invited back, uh, we're bringing that as, get Danny as a side. to fry them up. Yeah. Well, I went to um, not one but two Easter egg hunts in South Delta this weekend. How'd you do? And Clean. one of the uh, scored scored big man. Yeah. Scored big. Just knocking seven-year-olds out of the way, <laughs> throwing, throwing elbows, elbows, scooping loose balls like I'm Reed Bowering. Love it. Loose Easter eggs. But so the one that I went, one of the ones that I went to, you know, they blow the whistle. They give a 10-minute warning until everybody muster at this little red hut, 10 minutes until the Easter egg hunt starts. Okay. Five-minute warning, one-minute warning. But at the one-minute warning, the kids just started taking off. And like everyone's, there's hundreds of kids. Anyways, the Easter egg hunt goes off. And then like 30 minutes later, they get on the PA um, we've got a missing child. <laughs> of course. Red, red alert. Six, Six-year-old six David. Oh, of course, no. it's David. Blonde hair, black ski jacket. You know, yay, yay, hi. If you find David, please bring him to the booth. And this goes on for like, you know, good 15, 20 minutes. I grab my daughter. I'm like, let's go. Let's go find David. Let's go look off. Because they're like, oh, you might have ran into the woods oh, on no. the Easter egg hunt. So we go look in. And we're, like, we're going to find this kid. Let's go save the day. And then as sure as up, we're, we're rustling through the bushes and they get on the pee again. We found David. Um, he's been, he's been located, but yeah, just you ever uh, get lost was, when you were a kid. I, there was one time I remember distinctly, I was at the water slides and I was following a dude up the stairs that I thought was my dad. I was only like, you know, waist high. Yeah. And I was just following these red trunks up the stairs. I remember getting to the top of the slide, then like grabbing this guy's pocket to stay close. And he looks down at me. <laughs> And it wasn't my dad, and I'm terrified. It scarred me. I remember it distinctly. A little red bathing suit shorts and some dude looking down going, I'm not your dad. That was the only time that I've got close to being lost. I got, like, did you get lost? Yeah. I, I, my mom took me to ice capades. I don't know if you remember ice capades yeah, or yeah. not, but took me to ice capades. Yeah. And so I don't know what happened. It was at the end of the show, walking to the, to the parking lot, and we got separated, and I – I was traumatized, man. I but then on the flip side of things, like when I would like when I was a little bit older and I go to the mall with my mom as we we get off track here, I would like we go into the bay or Eaton's or something, and I would purposely like hide and you know those clothes racks where they Oh yeah, yeah, they used to and have I them would in a hide, circle and you get in the middle. I hide inside of those and just scare the bejesus out of my mom. They don't have those anymore. No. If you think about it, like they don't have them in circular anymore, so you can't get in the middle. They're all you it's go to the bay why. or anything, they're all straight. It's right? probably too why. many kids got too many kids kid. All right. Uh where do you want to start? Uh, probably start at the beginning Friday night. I think, uh, we had a, we had a lacrosse game. I had a little day trip up to Merritt, uh, Friday day and got back in time for the big game, which was good. Panther city gets back in the win call San Diego's now lost five in a row, their final home game at Pachanga. And now in jeopardy of losing a first round home playoff game, if they continue to lose and Calgary continues to win, they can leapfrog and host a playoff game. And that's a real danger as Panther city continues to stick to the process and grind out wins and outwork and out hustle. And it's Caputo with the big night this time around. I don't know what was more impressive or more discerning Panther city getting back in the wind column. Great. 
or San Diego now being on one of the league's longest losing streaks this season at five games. Yeah, we've been kind of talking about San Diego and what's been going on there the last little bit, and it's it's got to be concerning here, Brad. And and I, you know, we talked about them being banged up. Just look up and down that roster, and and man, there's just guys kind of limping and wrapped up and all sorts of stuff and you just wonder whether they just came out of the gate so hot and didn't get some guys some rest that maybe that needed it during the the middle part of the season here but for them and and Halifax the way that their seasons have turned upside down has been crazy like the drop has been real eye-opening but good on Panther City here to, to kind of grind this one out. They gave up six goals in the second quarter, but undeterred, and then a big fourth quarter. Phil Caputo, underrated player in this league, man. Like, this this guy is, is getting the job done week in and week out, and I don't think enough people are talking about Phil Caputo. No, they're not, and he's bounced around a little bit, and it's nice to see him get on the right foot. Like, this has happened a lot throughout this season, this year. There's a lot of guys that are overperforming I guess you could say what they've been expected of doing in the past but he's found a nice little fit there and some guys just need more opportunity he wasn't getting he didn't get that in Toronto he wasn't getting that a ton in in Rochester playing behind Evie for those couple seasons so with the ball in his stick a little bit more some guys are rising to the occasion I put him in that category yeah Frank Shiliano pulled from this game again he and Warren Hill like haven't finished a game and I don't know how long so yeah, guys trending, yeah, in the, trending in the wrong direction again, but for sure, you know, you get down to that one game playoff and yeah, San Diego wants that home game and, and they may still get it. Uh, but the, they, there's gotta be concern there. And, and I just like, I don't know, we're not inside that locker room, Brad. So we don't know that the health status of a lot of guys here, but just from an outsider looking in, they look like a real banged up lacrosse team kind of trying to limp to the finish line here. They are nine and seven. They've lost, their last five so they were nine and two at one point and just turning it around not at a great time in the season they've got saskatchewan this week um a lot of basically (laughs) one of the basic playoff games a lot of these have had a lot of playoff implications this weekend as we'll see the next two weeks too but one of the biggest playoff games was philly and albany for the fourth or the crossover spot i was on coast to coast this week during the half time of all of the games this weekend, tooting Philly's horn. You watched it every time too, I bet, didn't you? I know, I was just like, oh, again? Are we showing this again? I picked Philly to ride into that final playoff spot. And they still... They still have a chance. Philly is not eliminated. They can still do some shuffling to get in there. Win and you're in and lose and you're out, I think, for Philly. Yeah, but the way that they lost this game is, again, their offense goes absolutely quiet. They lose to a team above or a team above them in the standings that's now 500. They they don't score. They only muster five. And Albany is the team that no one can sort of put a finger on. They're a win away from clinching a playoff game, I think, and and solidifying things for themselves. So this, this was a wacky one that Philly just didn't really show up for. Well, they showed up in the first quarter. They put three up and held Albany to one. But then they only score two goals in the last three quarters of this game, getting shut out in the third quarter, one in the second, one in the fourth. And that's just not going to get the job done. Joey Rez, 
hits the 100-point mark once again, Brad. The only American to do it, and now JoJo has done it twice. What a year for Joey Resiterrance. Yeah, and his MVP talk has just been up and down because he started off so hot, and then he cooled down, and then Dane's doing what Dane's doing. I guess this is a good time to have this conversation. I wanted to save this for the Buffalo mm. game, but spinning off a conversation that Teddy Jenner's hot take this week on on Coast to Coast was that there should be like an MVP, which should be defined as most valuable player to his team. Okay, so hang what on player... a second. I'm going to stop you right there. Is the MVP the most valuable player to his team or the most valuable player in the league? Right now, it is defined as most valuable player in the league. Yeah, that's the way yeah. it should be. Not right. to your team, the league. Well, okay, as you're saying. but So the take was the MVP should be defined as most valuable to his team and then launch a new award that's like most outstanding player or maybe it's player voted like your Lester B. Pearson in the NHL or, or media voted. So you could get your Dane Smith could win that most outstanding player and then someone else like a Matt Vince or a Zach Curry or a Challen Rogers could win MVP because what would each one of those teams look like if you took that person out and that's where I think Joe Resseteritz goes so like overall the league Joe Resseteritz not the most it's an outstanding year but there's been more outstanding guys like Dane Smith like Ryan Lee um, and certain guys at times but if you take Joey Rez out of that Albany team they're not even looking at the playoffs this season Okay. You probably say the same thing about Matt Vince in Buffalo. You know, you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. So, so you're saying change the MVP to most valuable to his team and to then make team. an award. And I don't think a most outstanding player. Make it most offensive player. Still call it the mop, but be able to give it to the highest scoring, most outstanding offensive player. You with me? Yeah, on that? I like that. And it, hey, that person could still be up for. MVP sure most can. valuable to his team, and let like me, like a Joe Resiter. Let me take this a step further for hopefully some of the executive and board that are tuning into the podcast here, maybe some league personnel as well. Can we not get to the point where we are naming these awards after our league's greatest players of yesteryear? Like the Coach of the Year is the Les Bartley Award. And then nothing else is named after Gary Gate, John Tavares, John Grant, Pat Coyle, whatever, Jim Veltman. We need to start honoring our past players a little bit better in this league. And I think starting with naming the best defensive player of the year award after one of the greatest defensive players our league has ever seen, pick whoever you want. Why are we not doing this? Wholeheartedly agree. PLL did it the first year that they announced their award. So they did it right. Maybe this is a task for the new commissioner and the new deputy commissioner when they come in um, to look at sort of everything. And this, this might be on the table. Cause I do think we talked about it last week with some sort of, you're seeing, I think some disgruntled veterans right now that almost they wish they were in the league now, just because of where the media attention is, but yeah. also there's some players out there. I think that are not feeling that respect because they did a lot to grow the game back in the day. If you were backstop in one of the best dynasties of all time. So there should be a way to, to go back and honor these players for sure. So I, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, I just, we, you know, we, we run down the list a million times of who we think these trophies should be named after, but I agree. It has to be done to honor the guys it, of the past. And it makes no sense to have just, just less Bartley and 
God rest his soul, and deservingly so, the coach of the year named after Les Bartley, and then to have nothing else named after nobody else, just, you know, Bob Watson, goaltender of the year yeah, award. Tom, Tom, Tom Brelli award. It's a Tom Brelli award. It's unfortunate that the two ones that are named after somebody are people that have, have left us. Yeah, it sadly. doesn't need to be that way. Doesn't need to be that way. Let's move along the Buffs, here, Bradley. This one was essentially a playoff game for Georgia. They're still jockeying for, for position, but they got spanked all up and down the floor by the Buffalo Bandits. 18 to 9 is the Bandits had lost a couple in a row and needed to get right, and they did it against the Georgia Swarm. Yeah, man. This this game was never really close for Georgia. Who featured Miles Thompson making his return to the Swarm lineup, but like you said, Buffalo needed to get back in the win column and the bandits that we have been kind of witnessing all year long showed up and then some as I, I think like a, a message was sent here. They put up eight in the second quarter and just rolled the swarm on their on their home floor. And Dan Smith now, what is he, Brad? Two away from his own record here. Needs a 12-point night for my hot take to come true. No question he's going to get get the record, but it's by how many here for the Great Dane. Just incredible stuff. Like I, Again, like we talked about Phil Caputo, not, not enough people talk. I don't know if enough people are talking about Dane Smith setting some history here. I know they're talking, but more talk. Give me more Dane yeah, Smith yeah, talk. I don't know. This one's getting... This one's getting published. I don't know how much more you need here, Jumbo, but he's already passed his assist record by nine. Shattered it. He's still got a game to go. He's six assists away from 100, which has never even come close to being done before. So, so unreal stuff. Yeah, a 12 point night. It's doable. Heck, it's doable. But doable. most impressive thing here, too, is Bandits now have five 30 goal scores Smith, oh. Byrne, Fields, Fraser, and Nanakoke and could all get there. What's the benchmark? Like having four 30 goal guys is is something. Having five is just bananas. It's only been done a couple times. Albany Attack did it um, in the early 2000s with Josh Sanderson and, and Jet, or Dan Teat and a couple others. Um, but it's it's very rare. But that's why he's got 94 assists. You got four other 30 goal scorers you can be passing to. 94, 94 assists. <laughs> is going to happen, but it's pretty remarkable. Like far and away, just one of the most impressive seasons of all time. Mind you, the bandits record is one of their best of all time. And they've now gotten right against Georgia at, at the right time. Uh, Georgia, Philly, Albany, scrapping a uh, riptide are still in it, by the way, they're not dead yet either, which is kind of crazy to think about, but there they are. Another big, Margin of victory game. Two identical scores coming up here. Toronto, 15-7 over Halifax in New York, 15-7 over Rochester. Start the TSN game of the week as the Rock are rolling. We've talked about how impressive they've been the last little while. Four-game win streak. Nick Rose has been unreal. Schreiber, Challen Rogers, Dan Craig, everyone come into play. And maybe top to bottom, maybe maybe the best team sort of on paper right now, rolling into the postseason outside of Buffalo. I really debated on the power rankings this week on whether to put Toronto up at number one, but the way Buffalo won over Georgia, I just couldn't quite do it, but the rock are knocking on the door here, Brad. And they're a team that nobody wants to see 
in the playoffs, especially if they're playing at home. By the way, did you see the the little shovel bounce pass to Dawson from Schreiber? Just ludicrous stuff. Like he drives underneath, kind of tucks his stick across his body. The double comes at him. Instead of doing like the flip over his head, because the two defenders were kind of had their sticks up, he goes low and puts it off the turf on a bounce into Dawson's stick blindly. Like it. I, yeah, I saw. And like his back was turned. You know, yeah. He, it was like he had eyes in the back of his head to make that pass. And then Dawson, who had a lane, he still doesn't shoot because he's Dan Dawson. He finds Craig, yeah. who's got the hottest stick in, in Toronto. Nine and he finishes off like, what a beautiful, beautiful play that was. Schreiber has been absolutely unreal this season. You're right. Toronto, you don't want to get in the way of them. And if play, if the playoffs started today, <laughs> take a drink. They would play Halifax, and phew, to me, that just looks like it's got it's got another beatdown written all over it. The way Halifax is going, as you talked earlier about Warren Hill not finishing, Eric Bold comes in and looks okay for a few minutes, but just the what flood is gates, going on? Floodgates open up in Halifax. Well, I wanted to say this when you mentioned Miles Thompson a second ago. Like, do they look back now at the trade deadline and go, "Man, did we?" I know they had their issues with with Kyle Jackson, and I don't think anybody around that organization wishes that that he was still there after what happened, but could they, could they have worked through some of that and some of that with LeBlanc for the sake of the long term? because they've been on a terrible slide ever since that trade deadline. Yeah. What were they, Brad? Eight and one. And now they, they just look lost. They can't Sean Evans on the injured reserve quote unquote yeah. for this game. They can't, they can't Warren Hill can't finish a game. Their offense is dried up. Teams are putting goals by them. It is just flipped upside down on Halifax. And I, I I, just don't understand why they wanted to go ahead and mess with what was working. Maybe they figure it out when, when it matters most, but it is hard to stop the snowball when it is rolling downhill like it is on the Thunderbirds right now. So real interested to see how the rest of the year plays out for Hallie. One last note on Toronto, double, triple, quadruple thumbs up on those uniforms that they were wearing on Saturday night. Those things were spectacular. Yeah, those were grade A. And Ashley Docking, if you go to uh, NLL on Facebook, you can you can find the clip of her talking about those jerseys on the TSN Game of the Week, but they've isolated that clip. So you can just click and watch that little one-minute feature on uh, on Facebook, check that out. Identical score again, New York 15-7 over Rochester. You mentioned Jeff T putting up another 10 spot. Well, I didn't because I cut that still... out, Brad. I, I cut oh, that sorry. part out. But now I'm going to mention Jeff T score another 10 Okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot, but I forgot about the edit there when there you're you I dropping all those F-bombs about uh, about the riptide that we had to clean up. Sorry. Um, no, he puts up another 10 and still not mathematically eliminated are the New York Riptide. Unbelievable. At 6 and 10 with two games to go. Well, you remember when they made their deals, right? They they gave up the first noseworthy and it was kind of like it was like a move like, "Hey, we still believe in this group that we can make the playoffs." And everybody was kind of looking. I think I was probably one of them, Brad going like, "Oh, you're kind of mortgaging the future here for another lost year." But I I think what has been most impressive here from the New York Riptide has been the steady ascension of their team they have continually progressed and gotten better week in and week out and as a coach and as an organization 
especially a young one like the Riptide, that is all you can ask for. Just try and get better every single week. And I think the team as a whole, but especially one Steven Orleman, who I think we need to get on the program, Brad. I want to have a conversation with this guy. Steve Orleman, thrown to the fire, and has just battled and battled and battled. And now this guy is a bona fide number one in the National Lacrosse League. And they're doing this all as well without Callum Crawford for the last three games. So getting better every game and not that it's addition by subtraction there. I still think they'd be winning these games with Crawford, but it's forced those other guys around him to step up like Fox and Kieran to continue to finish and Digby's playing his role now. And, and everybody else is rising the gauge. You talk about teams getting better every week. That's the Calgary Roughnecks. That's New York Riptide. That's the Panther city lacrosse club. Those are teams trending in, in the right direction. Sure. So still slim shot for New York, but uh, like I'm not saying anything's impossible until these next, <laughs> oh, until we get that league email that says like, this is the actual elimination. Yeah. I sort of leave the door open for anybody that's not technically eliminated right now. And the well, only teams that are, are Rochester and Vancouver. Well, Everybody I'm, else still is knocking on the door of the postseason. Yeah, I'm glad you and, and Jimmy backed me down last week when I said the rush were out because <laughs> they're not out, Brad. Ranger things can happen. I know. We'll talk about it. I think they've got like a 1.6% chance of doing it, but yeah, yeah. they still have a chance of doing it. And two teams do not with two weeks left to go. And is this not what, exactly what we wanted? For well, this is what everybody wanted. In weeks 22 and, and 23, or weeks, the last yeah, two weeks Yeah, of the you season. want games to matter in April, and every single game has mattered for almost every single team up until this point. And the last two weeks of the season, look out, man. Something crazy is going to happen, and one of these teams like the Rush or the Riptide or something, something freaky is going to happen, and, and we're going to get a team in the playoffs that nobody saw coming. Panther City. We la- we laughed when we got that league document that was like thirty pages long with all the tie breaking scenarios. We're like, who's got time for this? But now it's like, no, do your homework, do, do some digging, you figure out what's going to happen because they might have to get down to page. 27 of of 30 to figure out what these tiebreakers are going to look like this next game meant a lot too. Saskatchewan wins again. Second win under head coach, Jimmy Quinlan, Colorado mammoth nine, eight. Should have taken him. Should have taken him on who you got after having Quinlan on the pod. I should know better. Adam shoot who what only stopped, I think 21 shots. I don't know if that stat's correct or not, but the rush of outshot Colorado in their three games by just a alarming margin. But you know what? Like Adam Shute, I don't think was ever really the issue there in Saskatchewan. And good on him for going through all this with Penny and them getting Rushka and sat down back in. He battled in this game. And grinds it, holds the Mammoth to eight. And we've seen the Mammoth put up a lot of goals against a lot of teams. And I just, I want to give Adam Shute a little bit of kudos here because that's not an easy thing for a goaltender to go through and then come in in that situation and get the job done in, in impressive fashion. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go all the way that far with you. I think there might have been a couple games early in this. They lost a lot of one goal games. So there was a yeah. couple of maybe some outside shots that maybe stopped, would have swung things a different way for Saskatchewan. But I do think it's a nice story for him to come off 49 days, hear all that shit talk, 
and then come back and put up a game like he did. And, and Saskatchewan just knows how to play against Colorado. Like they just, they limit that ball movement. They keep them to the perimeter and they've struggled. Colorado struggled against Saskatchewan this season. And the other thing is that more secondary from Saskatchewan this game, right? Like Mallory scores, Paulus gets a couple with, with Shatler not in the lineup. And that's one thing that Jimmy Quinlan spoke to us about last week was getting more production from outside guys. You know, they want Matthews to shoot first. They know church is going to get his, but they need, they need it from, from elsewhere. And, and they got that. And now there's, you mentioned 1.6% or whatever it is to get in, but they've won two in a row. They're refreshed under a head coach. They've got uh, San Diego on a five game losing streak this weekend. And now you start to, to bring some life back into that building. Uh, there, they believe they believe it. I can tell you that. I know that rush locker room, and they they still think it can be done, and it and it can be, and it very well might be. And I, I don't know. I keep circling back here to to goaltending, Brad. And you know, we we look, we talked about San Diego and Halifax and their issues, and certainly Vancouver has had theirs as well. And and we'll talk about Bouquet and Fryer here in a minute. But Adam Shute coming back in. We talked about Orleman. It just leads me back in a circle to think how important goaltending is in this league and how when you get Dougie Jameson, look what he did this weekend and look where Albany is now. It's just such an important position in the NLL. And when you get good goaltending, any team can beat anybody. And when you get subpar goaltending, you can get beat by anybody. That's really the end of the the story. You know what? As you step back... And look at the standings, and let's just walk through that real quick. Buffalo, first place, Matt Vince, goaltender of the year category. Toronto, second overall in the East, Nick Rose, goaltender of the year category. Halifax, big losing streak. Warren Hill, not living up to his standards right now. Georgia Swarm, mid-pack, up and down year for Poulin. Albany knocking on the door, up and down year for Jameson. Like, he's been really good some games, and he's been okay some other games. And that's where Albany's been. Look at the West, Colorado. Dylan Ward, first place. San Diego Seals, Chiliano, not great the last few weeks. Five-game losing streak. Calgary Roughnecks, they've won seven of their last ten. Christian Del Bianco is coming on strongly. Like you can literally follow yeah, the trend of, of all these teams. Panther City, look at look at Nicky Damute. He's been fantastic as well. So you're not um, you're not too far out of the way, man. You're not too far off there. Final game of the weekend, Calgary eliminates Vancouver from the postseason. Calgary punches their tickets 15-13. <sighs> I'll start here. I tweeted this out on the weekend because I woke up on Sunday morning just kind of reflecting back on this was the best version of Vancouver Warriors, Vancouver Stealth, whatever, that we've seen since I think they moved north. Like this team could and was hanging with any team on on any night. Two 40-goal scores that are at the right at the top of the league in, in killing and ball. Rookie of the year candidate in Reed Bowering, who did absolutely everything. A, a team that's blocked more shots than any team in the National Lacrosse League. One of their best defensive seasons ever. Their penalty kill and their power play were the best statistically that they've been over the years. And it still was not enough to punch a ticket to the postseason. And and I don't know what if you want to look back and and find some excuses on the two Colorado losses, the Mitch Jones injury. There's a couple critical games in there that I think if they went another way, Vancouver would be knocking on, on a playoff door right now. But positives, you take all that forward from what I just said, 
that's good building blocks for next year. You take the fan support that I really think was coming on strong this year in Vancouver. It was, it was unreal in Rochester. You know, I think the players felt it. Players around the league have felt it and talked about it. And there's lots of positives to take forward for the Vancouver Warriors. Yeah. Well said, man. And, and I, you know, I, I don't even know if it, it's an excuse. Like, it's not like Mitch Jones missed a month or three or four games. He missed like three months, 12 games or something like that when it's all said and done. And, I, and I've said it time and time again. I think Mitch Jones is the most important player to his team in the league. And when you, when you lose him, it's hard to have an objective assessment of the Warriors as a whole, of the coaching staff, all of it. It's hard to, to, to be objective when you lose your superstar for four months and then throw in your number one faceoff guy as well, who was right near the top of the league in, in faceoff stats. Those are two gaping holes that they just could not fill. And yeah, the goaltending was was inconsistent at times. I think they know that. I think the goalies probably know that and, and the rest of the team does as well. But a lot of bright spots, like you mentioned, the special teams, rebowering season, Keegan Ball and Kyle Kalen are turning themselves into superstars in this league. Charlotte Bees was solid, but they need a little bit more up front as far as goal production goes from their secondary scorers, if you will. And I think another year will will help them find that. They're going to get another high draft pick here as well, Brad, since they're not making the playoffs. And it's a building. It's taken a long time to get to where they have gotten to now. Yeah, I know they're out of the playoffs, but it didn't feel like those years out in Langley, Brad, where it was just a death march and you knew this team was going nowhere. This team is on the rise here. And I think back, yeah, those two Colorado games stung badly. I think of that game in Panther City when they started their run, that one goal loss, that was a big one. And then the overtime game in Calgary, I think, really kind of sealed their fate there, which a lot of ifs, wins, maybes, and all of that. But there, I still have high hopes and expectations for this team leading into next season. And maybe I'm looking through gold and, and black colored glasses here, Brad, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to hang my hat on it and and say, like, with a healthy Mitch Jones and Hammer Jackson, a little bit more secondary scoring and add another couple of draft picks into this lineup, and Vancouver's going to be right there. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And Charlotte Beatty's with an offseason looking at the opportunities that he had, like his shooting percentage wasn't great, but his confidence was growing every night. And, you know, Caleb Toth said to Teddy and I in Saskatchewan, he needs to shake the, needs to shake the field off and get used to, to the nets. And I think a season um, off will do that. Well, you know, hopefully he sticks around Vancouver and he can, he can get some shots on here and, and work on that finish. Cause that's a real bright building spot going forward. I know that they're not disappointed in what, what he did this season they're actually quite quite happy with what he brought in his in his two-man game and his feeding ability and just the finish wasn't there but they know that that he's got it and and that it'll come so building building blocks are there and unfortunately vancouver out of the postseason along with rochester with two weeks left to go yeah quick take on charlam beaties um he's gonna play well he's gonna try and play in the pll with the boston cannons if if he makes the club so he'll have to shake off the field again but here's my take on charlam beaties the way he plays is almost like a dodging style of one-on-one play. 
and he's so thick and big and muscular that that style almost is not conducive to his body. I would like to see Charlambides lose about 10, 12 pounds and get another step quicker, and then I think you're going to see something. I just, like, he's not out of shape. I just think he needs to lean out and get a little quicker. You with me on that? Yeah, I'm with you. If you look at you look at a, a Keegan Ball or yes. a Josh Byrne and the way that those guys are built for, and those are some of the best one-on-one sort of ankle-breaking guys. He's got the moves. In the league, he's got the moves. I don't, you know, I'm, I think I'm okay with, with the size. Maybe he needs to develop into more of a, a power forward. But is Steph that LeBlanc his game? That's what I'm saying, role. Brad. That's what his well, body he, suits, but that's not really his style of play. You know, was it in what we haven't seen him indoors for a long time. Yeah. And yeah, he could do that on, on a big field, but maybe that's not with him now after a bunch of knee injuries and maybe one-on-one ankle breaking is not, is not in his game. And he's got to wor- worry about sort of getting inside and getting over top of guys and getting a shot off that way and using that frame to penetrate the inside. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know if that foot speed will be there to get there. If he sheds 10, I think he's got the size and the power to be like, I mentioned like a Steph LeBlanc where I think he uses his size and his thickness like really well. Uh, Discuss amongst yourselves. That's just my take. And you got yours. Doesn't mean necessarily one of us is right or wrong. Brad, we got Dean Farrell coming up in quarter two. But before we get to Deaner, we got to head for the Stampede Tax Stables. By the way, at the Easter egg hunt that I was at on Saturday, we waited about 60 minutes for a 60-second pony ride for the kids. It made me think of – they weren't making noises, but just yeah. as close as my kids have been to a horse, even though they were ponies, but made me think of Stampede Tack and Stallions and all that. Well, when you're thinking about Stampede Tack and Westerwear, think the Storm Rider jacket. This Storm Rider line jean jacket is the all-time classic when it comes to jean jackets. Perfect for year-round use. It goes well with any other classics, the plaid shirt. Be sure to drop by Stampede Tack and Westerwear out there in Cloverdale, Highway 10, 180th, where you'll find an outstanding collection of jean jackets and plaid shirts. Or you can always shop online at stampede.ca, where shopping online is still... Shopping local. We got Dean Farrell waiting here, Brad. So let's do this quickly. Your Stampede Stallion of the Week, please. I'm going to go with the guy who might have put the nail in the coffin of the Vancouver Warriors season this weekend. And that's the natural Jesse King, who scored a natural hat trick in this game to give Talgy Roughnecks 8-4 lead that they never let go of. He had another goal late, so a 4.9 for Jesse King. But he's now set career highs in assists and points. For himself, he's one of the best cause turnover forwards in the National Lacrosse League. He's one of the best loose ball forwards in the National Lacrosse League. And go find Christian Del Bianco's tweet last week about Jesse King just saying, like, not enough people understand what he does. He can go over and improve an offense. Curtis Dixon, same way. He didn't score last weekend, but had a bunch of bunch of assists and obviously commands the attention to open things up for other people. Jesse King with four goals against Vancouver. He's got 60 assists on the season, 86 points with two more games to go. This kid could crest the century mark for the first time 
in his career. Welcome to the stable, Jesse King. Those far side bouncers, deadly. I I talk about this a lot, and that's players that make other players better around them. And Jesse King is the epitome of that. Just does it all, man. Uh, greasy picks, loose balls, the forward checking, the game sense, the awareness, the vision, the passing, the shooting. Throw some leadership in there as well for Jesse King, who's turning himself into one of the leaders on that Roughnecks team. Well, well picked there, I would say, Brad. My selection this week is a man who allowed two goals in three quarters, five in total, to keep his team's playoff hopes alive. And big Dougie J. Jameson, who you mentioned, Brad, has had a few off games, but more often than not, Dougie this season has given his team a chance to win, and boy, did he ever do it against the Philadelphia Wings last weekend. Surrendering five, like I mentioned, two goals in three quarters. Not many goalies can say they've done that in this league. Welcome to the stable, Douglas Jameson. You are this week's Stampede Stallion of the Week, along with Jesse King. Huge quarter one is in the books, and we got lots more to come here on EP. 180. Dean Farrell of Panther City Lacrosse Club is coming up next. Keep it right here. Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Hey, this is Jimmy Quinlan, head coach of the Saskatchewan Rush, and you're listening to the Lax Class. Welcome back to Lacrosse Classified, Lax Class for short, as we move into quarter number two. Jake Kelly, Brad Schellen are with you, and also with us is Rycor Construction. They make it stand out. Family-owned, operating out of the Lower Mainland, over 15 years of experience in the construction industry. They produce quality craftsmanship and provide an exceptional client experience. That's Rycor Construction. Give them a call at 604-751-1534, 751-1534, or info at rycorconstruction.ca. Making his debut on Lax Class is Dean Farrell of Panther City Lacrosse Club. Welcome to Lax Class, Dean. Thanks for doing this, man. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I've been uh, listening for a while, so it's, uh, it's an honor to be on. Oh man, it's it's our honor here. Uh, well, we've like you said, never been on Lax Class, so I got to ask you this: Give us the the background, man. Uh, where you grew up, how you found a stick in your hand, and started playing lacrosse. Okay, well, uh, I'll try to keep it uh, short and sweet. But I'm from St. Albert, Alberta. Uh, so I started playing when I was about uh, four years old. It was the only sport me and my brother could both play at the same time. Uh, so grew up uh, grew up in St. Albert, played the St. Albert Rams. Uh, I was actually a goalie until I was uh, about 16. And so it was my, uh, my last. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was my last year. Uh, last year, midget, we were, had two games left. And we were short short on the road. And uh, I begged the guys to let me let me play player. So wow. They let me play. Uh, Andy Kent and Dalen Krause were my coach. And uh, I ended up getting a hat trick. And I was like, I am never playing goalie again. <laughs> so uh, yeah. then that uh, that year, I it was a draft or junior draft. So I played for the Edmonton Eclipse. Uh trying to figure out what way to come off a pick still but uh uh yeah I ended up playing there we played in the minto cup so it was kind of uh it happened pretty quick got thrown to the wolves 
have you played goal since like just taking shots anywhere when a team has been short xll wla somewhere you must have put them on right, it's like tk oh, yeah. know that you could suit up if, if you, need, you got stuck in a pinch no, I was actually thinking if I didn't make it to the league next year, I was going to put it on my resume. See, I could play third string if they need me. But um, I, I suited up last summer, actually, at the West Hill with some of the boys. And uh, I remember Reed Reinhold actually put one right past my ear, and I could just smell the burning rubber. And I was like, yeah, this this is not for me anymore. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> this real. is why I don't do this. Take us to... Yeah. Um, Take us, take us to the college days and, and leading up to the NLL draft. Like your big story this year is that you're a 27 year old street free agent, untrapped in national crossing, but leading in to the draft after Edmonton, after college, um, were you talking to GMs leading up to the draft and how did that sort of process go for you? Yeah. So I, uh, went to school at Grand Canyon university, played the MCLA club lacrosse. Um, so obviously Alberta guy playing club lacrosse, not really your traditional NLL guy. Um, but, um, yeah, I went to the, the, uh, I played for the Sanford Miners, uh, my last, my first year senior, and then went out to the, the combine. Uh, and I was talking to Vancouver a little bit and a couple coaches and I felt like I had a really, really strong combine and I uh, know Vancouver mentioned they, uh, they might pick me up. Uh, and so I sat through the draft there, didn't end up getting picked. Um, and then, uh, once that happened, I, I basically said, okay, I gotta go play in the WLA to try to uh, get noticed. Well, and, um, and I think you did that, Dean. Like, how did how did it come about for you to find your way to the WLA? And you've you've gone from Coquitlam to Burnaby, and I, I, I'm not positive because it's been so long. Are you back in Coquitlam now? Yeah, a little bit of a suitcase, I guess. But they had that rule where you could uh, loan a player um, last year. But uh, uh, I graduated school with my business degree, and I uh, I didn't want to be kind of going back and forth, like uh, working odd jobs this summer and, and playing. So I figured I'd try to get a career. So uh, buddy, Kevin Newfeld hooked me up with uh, Xerox. Um, and so I ended up coming out here. My girlfriend moved out here too. And uh, um, yeah, I started playing for Coquitlam 2017 and just kind of put all my eggs in one basket. I said, I'm just going to stay out here until I, until I get a shot. And what do you, what are you doing with the Xerox before we get back to your lacrosse career? So I, I Xerox, uh, I started there, did a couple of years. It's really good for sales training. Uh, so I finished there and then, uh, uh, through lacrosse connection, Steve Kleiner, I uh, ended up with Paladin Technologies. Um, so I do commercial security sales. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, kind of Western Canada, we we deal with a lot of big clients, and uh, but yeah, that's what I do from nine to five. You got to Mammoth Camp in in eighteen, and got into an exhibition game there too. Um, what sort of advice did you take from from Pat Coyle and the company after that camp as to why that wasn't going to be the year for you don't get hurt uh no I had I had a I had a pretty good camp that year uh I felt really good uh I came off a really strong WLA season uh but it was my first shift against Toronto my first ever preseason game I heard oh, Chowder Rogers smoked me and I uh, rolled my ankle and I played the rest of the game I played pretty good I think I went one and two and a half and uh went to Buffalo the next day to get the full game to really earn it. And I couldn't even walk. Uh, so Coyle said I uh, couldn't play. And then I got released there. Um, so that kind of was uh was a tough, uh, tough bounce. Um, but uh, I mean, it's just the way it is. You know, you never know what's going to happen uh, with injuries and stuff. So I just got to keep working. Well, that's something you've certainly done, Dean, is is kept working. And, you know, you play the, the XLL season where you really showed well. You go on to play in the ALL and, and get an invite to Panther City Camp. And you didn't stick on your first go-round either, but just kept working. And, and when you got your second shot, you made the most of it. And, and you're not looking back now. But how difficult was it to stay positive and and maybe more importantly keep that belief in yourself that you're good enough and eventually you're going to make it 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely tough. I remember when COVID started, I was staying at my girlfriend. Like, I mean, we go home and I'll just, you know, be done with lacrosse and, you know, be more career orientated. But uh, uh, I think it's honestly my, my my buddies. I'd go to West Hill every Saturday, Sunday, 8 in the morning with uh, Snoof, uh, Jeremy Funk, Eli Bat, a bunch, a bunch of guys. And uh, I don't just kind of kept the love of the game. And uh, I felt they are always kind of pumping my tires and making me feel good. So uh, I just felt like, you know, I could, I could, I could make this happen. And then, uh, yeah, it was kind of just, I think, the love of the game. Every morning going with it, going there with the guys kept me going. And then talk about the Panther City, Panther City camp. Like, I think you were there for the preseason, but then what was the reason for releasing at the start of this season? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's tiny. You know, it's, uh, they're obviously a young team. They had, uh, they had their, the ways they wanted to go and, and try to build, uh, build with the youth. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, all the, all the lefties on the O had, had strong camp. So it was tough for them to, uh, to pick the guy. And obviously me being 27 years old, uh, sometimes you get the odd man out, uh, which it's a business. You, you got to understand that. Um, but, uh, so does that, I think that's what uh, kind of happened there. I, you know, I know it was a tough decision on the, on the staff and management, but, uh, yeah, I was just grateful to, to get the call back and obviously going through six weeks of camp with the guys, I, I knew them pretty well. So it was uh, pretty easy to rekindle those, those friendships. Speaking with Dean Farrell, and maybe that, that kind of helped you in the long run, Dean is going through all that adversity and being an older guy and being able to maybe deal with it better mentally. So when the, the chance did come around, you were prepared i know uh you played the first couple without your your name bar on the back of your jersey that didn't seem to bother you one bit um because you've you've produced when you've been in there was that belief always in you that you knew once the shot was coming that you could get the job done i mean uh yeah i was like uh, i don't want to actually sound too too cocky saying that but uh i mean i spend a lot of hours playing lacrosse uh, a lot of hours working on working on my craft and uh so I got, when i when i got the chance i, I kind of knew i'd be able to uh, like were you nervous going into it man like or was it like okay like i've done this a thousand times i just have to go and play my game or was it like holy shit this is my first pro nll yeah. game like w- what was the nerve level like for you i i was definitely nervous i was like this, this is it but the, the one thing i remember uh me and milligan came in together uh you know, and I, the one thing I kept on saying is, you know, we played against these guys our whole life. It's just, you know, same guys, different jerseys. And I think that's kind of kept me uh, even keel. Um, but yeah, inside, I was definitely freaking out. I'm like, holy, I've been dreaming of this since I was, you know, six years old. And here it is. Uh, so I was freaking out. But uh, yeah, I think seeing all those guys in the Western League kind of helped me keep um, keep a little even. How about the the ALL West? Like how how this is the first year we've had it, and how guys able to keep their sticks up at a at a high level mid mid National Lacrosse League season? Um, you know, just talk about the experience with with the Shooting Eagles and how that kept you going through through the first part of the NLL season. I was actually, uh, you know, what the ALL was great. I was I wasn't too sure what to expect there. Uh, I know I saw it in the East, but um, they ran it great. We we went there. We all had shooting shirts, jerseys, uh, shorts, all that, and uh, it was it was ran well. And playing the NLL rules with the NLL size nets and the, and the goalies and stuff, um, I think that helps everyone. And uh, no, I was just impressed with the skill level. Uh, two years off, you had all these draft picks and all these young kids I've never seen before. I looked at my team. I think I knew five guys. Um, so I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm really old. Um, but no, I was impressed with the, uh, the, the talent and uh, the way they ran that league for sure. Yeah. A, a real slow start for Panther city kind of out of the gates to start the year. I think, what were they Brad? two and eight, something like that. And then you rip off 
a bunch of wins in a row and put yourself in a playoff position and, and you're coming off a, a big victory over San Diego and you're, you guys are right there as an expansion team, which is an incredible feat in its own right. But what, what's oh. working, what's been working for Panther city over the last several weeks. I know you dropped one in between there, but um, you know, you can file that Calgary game behind you and, and, and look ahead, but there's still more on the horizon here for this Panther city team. Yeah. And I think it's what we say after every single game, uh, Dan Teat and uh, Kluski and Tolers, you know, what's next? We're not satisfied. Uh, I know when we were, we were on that little bit of a heater there, it was a four-game win streak, and uh, TK would just say, that, you know, that's that's nothing. You know, that's nothing. We haven't done anything yet. And I think that uh, it's, it's so true. Um, like, it's great to get these wins and stuff, but uh, I think he's really motivating us to, to, to know and uh, believe in ourselves that, you know, we can do this. You know, we, we have the, uh, the, the tools there. He... Uh... I've been loving watching Tracy Kaleski this season. Like he's, he's a quote machine. I think it's good for the league to have him back behind a bench and provide all the fiery content that, that we're looking for. Just what, what's, what's he been like? I know it's all about process down there in Panther city, but maybe give us a peek behind the curtains of what TK is like, you know, off, off the microphone and with the group. Yeah, I mean, uh, away from the rink, he's he's one of the best uh, best guys I've ever met. Really, really friendly, uh, easy guy to talk to. Um, but when we get to the rink, practice, shoot around, game, it, it's all business. Um, and like I said, quote machine. There, uh, I've never played for a coach like uh, the pregame speeches he gives us. You can you can keep the door closed. We're gonna run right through it because he just fires <laughs> us up. But um, you ever yeah, have a hard it, time it, understanding awesome. that the piker when he gets like he's got the dip going and he starts rattling like he can be yeah. tough to to, to kind of decide. <laughs> from yeah. time to time yeah so sometimes i find myself uh you know nodding and saying yeah and then saying to will like did you did you hear that Can you translate but, uh, that for me yeah 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 usually one of the guys catches it so we're good uh, what's the what's the overall group there? Because I watch the social media feeds and you guys coming off the floor asking, you know, who would be your babysitter or the best movie of all time and all that sort of stuff. It looks like a super fun group there in Panther City. Bunch of young guys just, you know, some were picked up in expansion, street free agents. It's just kind of a ragtag bunch, but you're all kind of the same age and all trying to make your way here in the league. It just looks like a, a really fun team to be around. Yeah, that's probably that's the best dress you've ever been in, uh, for sure. And I mean, it's crazy you don't spend any like that much time with these guys. It's just on the weekends. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think we've all had an experience in our career in the last few years that's been humbling. Uh, obviously, getting picked up as a free agent or not protected by your team. Um, so I think kind of having having that uh, experience together, we don't really have any egos, and it's just going there and we're we're just doing our job. Uh, we're not trying to do too much. And uh, we're having a great time doing it. That's for sure. Did you win a Prezi with St. Albert? Yeah, my first uh, my first year um, in senior. I, uh, I'm from St. Albert, so I played with them and won the President's Cup. Uh, we hosted it, actually. Leduc, 2014? Uh, no, uh, 20, 2016. Was that? 20, 2016. 2016. Yeah. I was there for that one. I was there for that one. Yeah. Could and I'm that actually team... going... No, go ahead. Go ahead. As go I ahead. say, I'm actually going back this summer. You are. I was going to ask you. Uh, well, they're, they're hosting this summer, right? I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I'll be there. Yeah, they're hosting, so it'll be great. I know i uh, got a lot of guys I look up to on that team, and, uh, you know, having, having the opportunity to host and maybe potentially win one with uh, guys like Lindsey Cornfield and a lot of those guys is uh, pretty sweet. Just get St. Albert team, in the WLA, man. I was just going to say, could that team hang in Senior A in, in the WLA? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. The culture of that team, too. I, I, you know, I compare it to, to Panther City. They, they got a great culture over there. Uh, Jordan Cornfield, Todd Lorenz did a great job of building that. But 
I think it all the time. I'm like, put them in a WLA game and see what happens. I'd, li- yeah, I'd like to see a Western, Western Canadian championship, man. Have the winner of the dub play, play, play St. Albert, whoever comes out of that league. And oh. then the winner of that goes and plays for the men cup or come over and just join the WLA. That team is. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what needs to happen. Traveling's a traveling's a bit of a pain in the ass in the summertime with two leagues like that. But yeah. I think, I, I think that team could hang, man. It's uh, been pretty like the impressive to watch them go. Yeah, yeah kind of like the Western final, how they did it. It'd be, it'd be good. But uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good team. And I know a lot of guys are like, oh, well, why are you playing senior B? And I'm like, well, when you get to the President's Cup, it's it's basically like senior A lacrosse, you know? It's such a hard championship to win, Dean. The seven games and seven days and just competition and style of play that you've never seen before from some of these Eastern teams from the Can-Am League and stuff like it. It is an absolute meat grinder to win the president's cup yeah yeah i mean i i i I, when i won it it was a different format we had two different pools so i didn't get it i didn't have to do it that way but i'm looking forward to this year really grinding it out two games in one day will be uh will be interesting wicked trophy too oh yeah georgia swarm this weekend and i don't i don't i don't think i'm out of line saying this i don't think anybody was looking at the schedule and going this panther city georgia game uh, the second last week of the season was going to mean so much for, for both these two teams, but a lot on the line for both sides. Have you begun the preparation for Georgia and, um, and what's it going to take to, to beat these guys this weekend? Yeah, we've uh, preparation started. Uh, coaches sent out, uh, you know, a lot of clips that they want us to focus on when, uh, when we're playing against their defense. And then uh, obviously the goaltending, they, they let us know how to prepare so we can take some shots and dial it in this week. But um, we usually do film, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll have a quick, uh, quick call, uh, and then uh, just keep working on uh, looking at the scout. And but uh, no, I'm pumped for for, uh, for this opportunity. And obviously, uh, yeah, if you would have asked us two months ago if this game would have would have meant so much, none of us would have would have known. So uh, it's pretty sweet. Dean, uh, really appreciate your time. Panther City, looking good on you, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way here. Continued success, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in Leduc come late August, man. Sounds good. Well, Maybe at West Hill. You can get the gear back on. Let old Jumbo rip a couple on. <laughs> Definitely. I'll keep you posted. We'll be there in the off season. Sounds good. There he goes. Dean Farrell, Panther City Lacrosse Club. And Brad, I, I said it off the top. I love this story here from Dean Farrell. The perseverance to get to where he's gotten to. And he's done it off of just a positive belief and hard work. And that's what you love to see. Yeah, and you mentioned that the veteran age, they're not the veteran, but the prime age that he's at, he's 27. Like, Keegan Ball was another guy for St. Albert Minor, street-free agent that came into the league, back in the league at 27, 28, and is, and is doing damage. And I think you hit the nail on the head where some of these veteran guys, and now that they have a place to play, like, is he getting picked up right now if the ALL wasn't there and he wasn't having a stick in his hand for the last three or four well, months? After- right? so I think having that is such a huge help. And then having that sort of, you know, he's a man and he knows how he's, he's confident and he knows how to roll. He knows how to roll with the punches. And, you know, he's been, he's been fun to watch. Like he's had flashes of, we've seen flashes of it in the WLA. What was it? The the XLL game against the he seven, had seven he against the belly spread. And they were all silly highlight reel goals. Like he, his confidence is sky high. You can hear it there. He's a well-spoken uh, young man. And it's it's coming together on the floor right now. Yeah, he's earned it. He deserves it. And it's great to see um, him. Like, I, when I was watching him during the XLL, I was like, how is this kid not on somebody's roster? Like I said, he got 
cut out of training camp, and I thought well, somebody is going to pick this guy up, and they're the team that to go back and and go. Maybe we we didn't get this right the first time. So good on Dean Farrell and Panther City, who have a massive one against Georgia this weekend. Break time here, Bradley. It's halftime on EP. One hundred and eighty. So let's get to breaking on the other side. Mr. 400, Todd LeBranch, the pride of Poco, will join us in quarter three of Lax Class when we return. Hey, this is NLL Hall of Famer Casey Powell. You're listening to Lax Class, your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Welcome back to Lex Class as we move into quarter number three. And Jake Kelly, Brad Schellander with you, of course. And back on the podcast is Mr. 400. I've been saying that a lot today. Todd LeBranch back on Lex Class says he becomes the first official to hit the 400-game officiating milestone in the NLL, which is just a crazy amount of games when you sit back and think about it. Todd, welcome back to Lex Class. How's it going? Good, man. I appreciate the uh, the clarification because there's uh, been some rumors out there that I was uh, one of only two. But uh, I checked with Brian and he uh, he made it clear that I was I was the first one to to cross that milestone. Who is number two? Is it Chet? Uh, no, actually, it'd be Mark Gardonio. Oh, OK. So, yeah, a bunch of year, a bunch of years ago, three, four, five years ago now, uh, Brian sent out had uh, had one of the people in the office go back and scour every game and, and put down what, uh, who worked it. So he sent out a spreadsheet a bunch of years ago. And, uh, at that time I was, uh, 273 and, and Mark, I believe if memory serves me correct, was about 236. And he's still going too, right? He is. So you can't stop before he stops. That's pretty much, you can't let him catch you. Oh no, no, there's no chance. Well, Todd, take us through last weekend. It's a pretty special one. I, we were saying, like we were saying earlier, that once you retire, maybe you become a ticket salesman because I think you put like thirty-five people into Rogers <laughs> Arena on um, on Saturday night there. But just how how special of an accomplishment was that? And to have your family and friends there in your hometown too must have made it even more special. Well, I can't take any of the credit for the ticket sales. That was one hundred percent my wife, and uh, she uh, she got to a grand total of thirty-seven people that she gathered up and and uh, made sure that they they all had seats and uh, and were there for for the event. So um, it was pretty special uh, on a couple of fronts. Uh, first of all, being able to do it in Vancouver, where my very first game was. Uh, December 9th, 2001, and to do it in front of, to be able to do it in front of friends and family was, was very special. I think the biggest, uh, the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome was to make sure I didn't get hurt, uh, in the, the San Diego game the night before to be able to make it number 400. Uh, by the way, Evan, we had to push Evan back for fourth quarter action here. He said to give you a two minute delay a game penalty for making him wait. <laughs> well, it's still under review and it's not going to come back inconclusive. Speaking of, uh, I, I reached out to you midweek and and uh, just to make it official here, you, you're only giving me one ding on, on last week's good question. That's correct. It was one one question, although uh, Jimmy days. made it clear that it was a, a very good question twice. I equated it to one shot, one goal. 
Um, and the second one was just a replay. And he almost took that ding away from, from me for laughing so hard at, at his, <laughs> at his one liner, which I, I could not help myself. That was pretty good. You know, uh, Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy's, you know, top of the heap when it comes to one line quips, he's, uh, he's very good at them. Um, and in fact, I enjoy the, the banter back and forth. So, um, you know, just before we fired it up, we were talking about rules and stuff and, uh, I have a I have a great story about Jimmy Quinlan when he was still playing for Edmonton. He would always come up and and be very inquisitive about the uh, the, the focus calls for any particular season. So this one year, it was uh, Rule ninety five point three, which is the embellishment rule. So every game he'd he'd get in my ear, Todd ninety five point three ninety five point three, and I'd be like, Jimmy, I know the rule, I get it, I know it's a focus, we're okay. And so the one game I thought, you know what, I'm going to get him back. And so I referred to him. I said, Jimmy, here's the most important rule in the rule book. And I said, it's seven or 16.3. And uh, he went in at halftime and after halftime, he comes out and he's got a big smile on his face and he goes, very, very good. What's that? You got to tell me what 16.3 is now. Well, I think Brad's got a rule book in front of him. Maybe he can reference it because it is clearly the most important rule in the rule book. I'll give him that. 16.3 is the officials roster and treatment. The commissioner or designee <laughs> shall forward to all clubs a list of referees, all of whom uh, must be treated with proper respect at all times during the season by all players and officials. I should have known that clubs. was coming. I should have known. Golden, <laughs> the golden rule if you're a referee. Todd, we, there was a couple articles on NLL.com this week, and I know the Tri-City News covered your accomplishment. I learned a lot about you through those articles that you grew up playing and then stop playing uh, to become a referee after it started getting hard on, on your legs and that, but how many refs do you think across the league grew up playing lacrosse and how important is playing lacrosse to being a, a good referee? You think? Well, as far as referees in the NLL currently that were players previously, I think all of them, I don't know that there's any that didn't play some sort of lacrosse. Um, you know, clearly most of the uh, American officials would have played primarily field lacrosse. Um, but, but most officials that I know um, have a history as a player, uh, you know, growing up. And I think it's important. I think you have to understand it's a, it's a very, very difficult game to referee. I'm clearly biased as far as you know, I feel it's the toughest game in the world to referee because everything is is so subjective. To so to understand the game as a player and be able to to you know transition and translate that into an official, I think is uh, is very very important. Two part question here, Todd. You're talking about Jimmy Quinlan. As we know, Jimmy was was quite a talker as a player and still so as a coach, but he wasn't afraid to kind of mix it up with other players and, and officials during his playing career. Uh, I want to ask you this from when you started 21 years ago to where you are now, do you think your, your stance on interacting with players has changed? Like has your skin got a little thicker or if you kind of eased off a little bit and had some more interaction. And with that being said, who are maybe a couple of the players that you've had some pretty memorable interactions with? Yeah. You know what? I think one of the key components uh, to being a good official is, is a thick skin. You have to understand and, and uh, you know um, that for the most part um, day in and day or game in and game out, 
the the players are frustrated at the uniform and they get upset with the uniform and and not really uh, a lot with the person inside that because they disagree with your interpretation of the call or your view of the judgment call so it's you know it's it's an emotional game and to have a thick skin is absolutely paramount to to being successful so is a short memory and a, and and a good sense of humor um, as far as part two of the question is concerned, you know, Jimmy was, was one of the best, um, you know, have, uh, you know, some great dialogues with him. And, um, even now, like you say, as a coach, um, you know, he, he was very quick to, to question a call. He's reeled it in a lot, uh, learning from, from Derek Keenan and, and that aspect, but, uh, you know, some of the other guys that I really enjoy the the banter back and forth was when when he was a player was John Tavares. John's an incredibly smart guy, and and uh, you know he went as a player he would he would come up and and have questions for you. And now as a coach, he he makes you think pregame when in our meetings. Um, Dan Dawson's another guy who thinks the game very well, and and you have some pretty solid interactions and, and, uh, some good questions and, um, you know, and, and I guess finally the other guy is, is Cody Jameson. Cody's very intense and, you know, um, you know, come up and, and he'll get very excited and you have to calm him down and bring him down to a level where he can have a, a respectful conversation. And, <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's, it's fun. I, it's a, it's an aspect of, of, uh, the game that I enjoy at this level. And, uh, yeah, I have had to learn to to bring my level down as a, as a young official had a bit of a chip on my shoulder especially when I started uh, as a very young official in the WLA I was 22 refereeing you know 35 36 year olds and and uh, had to to learn to control my emotions as well well I would think that Pat Coyle and, and Kurt Malowski would probably be near the top of your list as well both as players who both ran pretty hot during their their day in their playing career, but now on on benches as well, and it might be a different kind of energy coming from them. But they have to be in the mix too, no? You know what? Every NLL coach, and yeah, those are those are two that you know are are very in tune with the game. But you know what? Like even you know, I I can say it about every coach across the league. They're they're super pre- prepared these days. Um, you know, Patrick Merrill, uh, Glenn Clark. Uh, you know, Eddie Como. Yeah. Pardon me. Como. There, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, is they're they're all just so ultra prepared and and uh, you know, um, they'll challenge you on the rules and you have to do your preparation Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday between between weekends so that you're you're ready to go and ready to have those conversations and have those uh, have those answers for them. So. Yeah, um, to to answer your question, Jake. Yes, they're they're very pr- prepared, but so is every coach. That's why they got those gigs, Todd. You've been doing it for twenty one seasons, four hundred games, and the longest player in the history of the National Class League is is just hit three oh seven earlier this season to set the record. So quite far and away, longer than even the longest term player and that's dan dawson the history of the nll um a lot of back-to-backs in there a lot of miles you're pretty much going every single weekend what is your average season workload games wise you think 
Well, I mean, average, I guess, 421 years is just slightly under 20 games a season. But uh, early on in my career, I wasn't doing a lot. And, uh, you know, one of the things that kind of was eye-opening when when Brian sent out the spreadsheet for us was in uh, in 2014, I actually worked 31 games that season. And then followed it up in 2015 by working 32 games in a 16-game schedule that year. So, um, you know, the the players could only play 16, but I worked uh, I worked 32 that year. So, and that's something I'm I'm pretty proud of as well. Absolutely, and and maybe I'll ask you that. Like, I don't think people really realize how scrutinized you are from a league perspective, like you're getting evaluated on a weekly basis, a yearly basis. You have to be absolutely dialed in to the entire rule book and, and nobody's perfect. That's a lot of pressure that, that gets put on you from, from a weekly basis, game in and game out. And especially this year, there's much more focus because, you know, traditionally in my first 20 seasons, it was Brian Lemon. He, uh, he was the only one that was, you know, reviewing film and giving us our weekly evaluations and, and following up. But now um, he's got a staff. He's added three people to his staff, including Don Koharski, yeah. um, who's, who's been a great asset. And he does uh, some of the evaluations on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, Mike McClellan, who is a player in the league, um, who, who gives us great insight as, as a player's uh, you know, view of the game. So it's, it's really sort of, uh, increased the, the level, not only scrutiny, but feedback. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it really does help with development, right? They, they push clips to us every Tuesday to, to look at. Then Tuesday night, we have a, uh, a, a conference call, uh, with everybody on staff reviewing what happened, what's coming up the next weekend, what to look out for, um, and, and so it's, it's just really, um, elevated this season because, you know, Brian wears so many hats that he's now got the, the support as far as the lacrosse operation and the officials are concerned. And speaking How's of, that going? sorry, Brad, sorry, go ahead. speaking Probably, of, I think we're going to ask the same question. Well, no. I just want to ask him speaking of support. Like I know you, you mentioned your wife, Deanna, who I, I was checking out in the crowd when, when you went up on screen and then they showed her and, and your entire family, she was Super emotional, Todd, and clearly you're your number one fan and just loves the fact that you get to do what you get to do, but you don't do what you get to do without the support of, of her and the rest of your family to be away on a weekend basis, almost six, seven months of the year doing this for, for 21 years. So a, a chance, I guess, for you to, to give a little love to, to your lovely wife. Well, and you're, you're bang on Jake, right? Like um, I could not have done it without the support of, of Deanna um, and my family. She's uh, she's been in the corner since day one, since I started in the league and uh, you know, she's really never put any sort of, of handcuffs on me. You know, I've never had to, to block off a day in my 21 year career to, to black out a day never says anything that I'm away on weekends is, is there to take up all of the slack for, for family events. And, um, I can't thank her enough. She's, uh, she's truly just been an absolute rock in my corner and, and could not have, uh, been as successful as I am for the number of years that I've been without, uh, the kind of support that she's given me. Well said behind every good ref. There's a good referee's wife there, so kudos. Hundred percent. Somebody's got to love you, Todd. Somebody's got to show you something. Yeah. What have you? Well, at least, at least there's one. 
<laughs> Talk about Coho uh, a little bit. I know that uh, he just came in this season, but what have you learned from the legendary Donnie Koharski? Yeah, he he's brought great insight. You know, like um, you know, you're 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 not in the N- NHL for 32 years without being. Um, you know, uh, a very good as well as very well-respected official. So, you know, he's really sort of brought a different view. Um, Brian has a lacrosse background. He comes as a, as a player um, and now within the administration role, you know, and he's done his best to learn the rules and, and understand the, the dynamic of rule interpretations and game flow. And, um, but to have that, uh, that fresh look at, at how, you know, how our positioning looks, you know, and he's, and he's brought a lot of catchphrases to us that we talk about now game in and game out where, you know, being engaged for 60, which means being engaged for, for four quarters and 60 minutes and being good between whistles. One of the things that he's really stressed is, is how, you know, not only how good are we while the game's going on, but how good are we in between whistles and the stoppages and, and preventing those scrums and, and talking players out of penalties. So it's been a really good, refreshing uh, insight into the game and, and really helped uh, myself and, and a lot of the guys, you know, and I'm sure there was some skepticism, me included that, you know, you were bringing in a hockey guy, but at the end of the day, a, he was his, he did have a passion for lacrosse. He was a player as well, <clears throat> as well as a coach. In fact, actually, he reminds us that, uh, that he coached Eddie Camo, um, as a, as a midget, I believe it was, uh, so, so having those, that, that perspective and those, those fresh eyes and, and that 32 year insight into a professional uh, sports officiating background is, is really, really helped me. Well, how about the, the new crop of referees kind of coming into the league, Todd? Like somebody's going to have to take over for you and, and the likes of Gardonio eventually. Talk about the, the younger group of, of referees coming up and more specifically maybe the talent pool here in BC. Like I, I really believe that we need to start developing a, a few more National Lacrosse League referees here in British Columbia, and that has seemingly been a bit of an issue over the years gone by. How do we change that, and, and what's the future look like for NLL officials? Well, I think the the future of the NLL official is is really bright, and and in fact, I I once uh, you know made a comment to Nick Sakevich that I'm probably 15 years too early to you know for the National Lacrosse League if I was you know just sort of coming in in the last few years or or even just this year as a rookie would um, would have been much better off and being able to get to to 400 much quicker because of the number of teams that are coming in and. You know, there's also talk about possibly schedule expansion. Who knows, you know, if or when that'll happen. But, you know, I, I was working a game in, in Philadelphia a few weeks ago with two very, um, you know, qualified and, and up and coming officials, uh, Brandon Hessen and, and Justin Kitashima. And I think, you know, to probably to my detriment, if you put their two ages together, I, I was older than them combined, um, which which, you know, was a, was a bit of a, a devastating blow, but, uh, but they're both good officials. And I said to them, we were having lunch pregame. And I said, you know, 
Uh, they asked me about getting to 400 and I said, I was super excited about it. But I said to them, I said, 400 is going to be nothing for you guys. You know, first of all, you started much younger than that. I didn't start in the NLL till I was 36 when the Ravens came in. So they're already getting, you know, sort of an eight, 10 year jump on me. And they're, they're already working regular rotations and, and they're good officials. So there is a, a good young crop coming up behind to, you know, to sort of jump into the shoes of myself and, and Mark and Chris Williams, or, you know, those two probably have a lot more years than I do, but, uh, but, you know, I, I really believe that uh, the officiating group is uh, first of all in good hands and second of all in good shape to, to move forward. To answer your question about, uh, uh, about BC officials, um, you know, I was, I was very fortunate and thankful to Paul Del Monte, commissioner of the w, WLA a couple years ago, who um, gave me an opportunity to, to be involved as a referee in chief for the WLA in 2019. And so I was able to, to work with some, some seasoned officials in the WLA and some young guys. And I think that there's, there's, a, there's a good talent pool coming up. Um, but I also think that, that, you know, uh, we need to take a step back and start more grassroots in, in training officials and getting them, uh, you know, acclimated to, to NLL rules, yeah. which maybe I a know unified the rule book, Todd, right? Like maybe a unified rule book might help the cause a little bit. A hundred percent, Jake. And I've heard you talk about that on this podcast several times, and I couldn't agree with you more, uh, just for the fact that. It was one of the reasons that I actually gave up uh, officiating in the CLA was the confusion with the rule books because you, you know, you had a CLA rule book and then the juniors would alter their rules a little bit and then the WLA would and, and then it was, you know, vastly divergent from the NLL rules. So, um, you know, one of Brian's pet peeves is to make a call in the NLL, which is a CLA application of a rule. And so I wasn't prepared to, to make that mistake. So I, I made the conscious decision to step away from it. So um, a unified rule book is, is absolutely paramount, not only for players, coaches, um, but particularly fans and, uh, and officials. So it's, it's important. And, and I was broadcasters uh, too, again, broadcasters too. Okay. You. Yes, Thank yes, you. yes, of course. Yes. Um, I, and so I was actually fortunate enough to, to be invited to a committee to sit on a committee this last couple of months of the implementation of a lot of NLL rule interpretations that will be in uh, CLA buildings across the, the summer this season. So I know that, uh, that the MSL, the WLA and the three junior A leagues have all committed to uh, implementing almost exclusively with, with save and accept a couple of rules um the uh the nll rule Good. interpretation Good. so that's very positive that's fantastic to hear i know that's we've been preaching about that for a long time um you know go back i want to go back a couple years ago there was the minto cup incident in okotoks and there was the referee strike or the alleged almost strike in ontario i can't exactly remember the details around it at this time but there's there was a lot of abusive officials going around a couple a few summers ago and i remember saying here that you know why would it 12 year old or a teenager. Cause I started, I refed when I was like 15, 16. I thought it was the great summer job during lacrosse season to go, you know, still be around lacrosse and be part of it. But like, why would a 15 year old now want to be a referee with all the shit you guys were going through for a couple of years? I think that's sort of died down now, but if you were to look at a teenager, Todd, you know, why would they want to be a referee? What would you tell them as to why they should be a referee? 
Well, you know what, and and uh, you know, to your point of that, it was for a couple of years. It hasn't been for a couple of years. It's been long-standing where referees have had to endure abuse from you know coaches and 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 parents, unfortunately. Um, and and yes, it's it's fantastic to see that the sport itself, as well as the uh, you know the le- the individual leagues themselves have brought much more attention to it and uh, started to started to focus on eliminating it. I don't I don't know that you'll ever ever eliminate it, but at least, you know, significantly reduce, if not minimize it. Um, but I think that, you know, it's a great opportunity to stay involved in the game. It's a great opportunity to, to work your way up. And, and, you know, if you have aspirations to work hard to, to get to the NLL level, um, and like I said, uh, you know, to me, if, if anybody was to ask me, you know, give me three things that I need to be a good official. And I would, I, I think I said it earlier, but it's thick skin, a short memory and a great sense of humor. You're not going to be right all the time and, and accept and, and be upfront and honest with players and coaches that you either made a, a, a wrong interpretation or that you you got that uh, you, you saw it differently than they did. Maybe they're right, maybe you're right, but you just saw it differently. So to be able to have that you know conversation and be honest with them, if you know, and and you know, to say to a say to a player, hey, I missed that one. Can't say it a lot because then you're probably in the wrong profession. Um, Do but you if ever say that, Todd? Like when them, you when you sorry when you mess up a call which happens from time to time have you ever gone up to the coach and been like hey i got that one wrong my bad and not to say that you're going to make it up later in the game because that you don't want to get into that murky water but do you ever admit that that you made a mistake a hundred percent absolutely i will tell a player that hey i got that one wrong um you know or or you know I, i think i've said a couple of times you know, oh boy, that's uh, that's a tough call. I think I'm clearly in preseason form right now, yeah. right? So, um, you know, you, you you have to be honest because players know, coaches know, they're smart and they're intelligent to to know when you've made a mistake. And if you try and hide it, that really diminishes your credibility. And I tell new officials all the time that the only thing somebody can't take from you is your credibility. You have to give that away. So don't give it away be honest, be upfront and, and, and admit to mistakes. We we're not perfect when we're going to make mistakes. So to, uh, to, to be upfront with it, I think actually generates more respect because yeah. they, they see you as human. hundred percent, man. And it's funny. We're, uh, we're out watching some field lacrosse yesterday. I was with a few buddies. Uh, shout out to my beer hunters, by the way, who are provincial champions in 2022, but we're, <laughs> Making a comment about the official, I can't even remember who it was. It doesn't matter. But somebody equated it to, can you, like, the, the, the abuse that referees take, could you imagine an official walking up to a coach at his bench and going, your defensive system sucks? Or, <laughs> like, what, what are you running that play for? How come 68's on your bench? He's garbage. Like, it would just never happen. Can you imagine how a coach would react if an official talked to him, like, coaches talk to officials and it just kind of opened my eye like yeah like wow I cannot imagine that so it makes sense like why would you accept it the other way around is a couple more minutes here with Todd LeBron and last one for me for Todd is I just like to to for you to give me 
your favorite place or favorite arena to officiate a game. And, and I know that the Denver game probably comes to top of mind for a lot of people, but maybe a, a favorite memory throughout your 21 year career that sticks in your mind. Sure. Uh, favorite place there. There's a few, um, you know, certainly in Denver, uh, you know, the crowd there is loud, they're electric. Um, and, and it's just a, a great atmosphere as is, is Saskatoon as is Calgary, um, but, uh, you know, I think my, my all time favorite, uh, memory is in 2008, my very first championship assignment in Buffalo with Portland, 18,690 screaming fans in Buffalo and, uh, being out on the floor and seeing the bagpiper come down the, you know, and, and, and chills going down your spine and then the anthem and everybody screaming and the hair on the back of my neck standing up really is, is, you know, and, and plus the fact that it was, it was my first uh, championship assignment. So it was very special. And, and so it's uh, it's near and dear to my heart as far as, uh, as far as a, a memory in the NLL goes. Last one for me here, Todd. I know you keep the rule book pretty close and you study it every week. It's uh, almost like go. a preacher. It's almost go. like a <laughs> I equate it to like a preacher with the Bible, where you can say, Now reading from First, the book of Mark 13, one. If I throw if I were to throw a rule number at you, do you think you could tell us what at least with the title of that rule or what that what that rule is? Sixteen point three. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, sixteen point three <laughs> would be uh would be an easy one. And uh you know what? Um Let's try I, it. I Let's try that, it. Let's yeah, try it. Yeah. You know what? I think I've, I've got a good chance. I've got a good shot. If not, if not the specific rule, but sort of because the rule book segmented into into different sections. So give me one. All right. Here we go. Let me just scroll through here. All right, ref. <laughs> 73, 73.1. Okay. 73.1. Um, I'm going to go, that's probably in the area of restraining fouls. So I'm going to go with hooking. Oh, it's slow. Okay. You're, you're just off. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on this one. Cause oh. it's something that I've never seen called. I want, I'll ask if you have ever seen 73 one called before, but the rule is spectator on the floor. <laughs> what happens if a spectator climbs the glass and gets onto the floor? Give him a What's nice easy one. There? Why don't you? Wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, well, you know what? It, uh, you know, that's actually happened in one of my games. I was actually, uh, I was actually refereeing in Saskatoon, and some of course it happened in Saskatoon. Had... <laughs> <laughs> it's the only place it could happen. Some some fan that had clearly uh, original sixteen too many adult yeah, adult beverages. Um, you know, I was actually on the single side, uh, and, and he jumped and he landed right beside me <laughs> and it was, it, it, it took me so off guard. Like I had no idea. I looked at him and my very first thought was who threw a blanket on the turf? <laughs> like that's, that's literally what I thought. And, and then, um, he got up and, you know, was kind of staggering around and, and running and making a spectacle of himself. And I think. Um, my first, uh, my first inclination when that happened was I felt really sorry for the two young ladies who were, who were tasked with running after him to try and corral him in high heels. And so <laughs> they didn't just throw finally, rubbish after him or something. I was going like, to say yeah, like Chris you know Corbeil, go I, get him. Those two were actually, I think the two that, that came to the rescue and kind of 
corralled him and got him off, but it, it did happen in Saskatoon. Like I was so. going to say, out of all the sports to jump on a plane surface and, and run around like an idiot, like soccer, yeah, you might get kicked in the shin, and basketball, you might get slapped around. These guys are wearing helmets with sticks in their hands, and <laughs> like you're free game as far as I'm concerned. You're going to come onto my property like that. Like it, it's open season, so count his lucky stars he's – probably still breathing right now todd uh we're out of time here but thank you for yours hey, wait, i just i have to oh. say i have to say i have to finish this off here so the application of the rule it sounds to me that that situation it was dead ball so it wouldn't have mattered but if that was to happen in play team with possession will get the ball um and then you were close hooking was 72 i asked you was 73 one was so you're <laughs> you're right in the same page of the of the rule book there so so kudos to that Congrats. I was in. I was in the hood. Yeah, you're, you're in, the in the hood. You're in the hood right now. You're hanging out in BC, which I love to hear. Uh, congrats on 400, man. All the best towards 500. I know you're going to get there, Brad. You got something before you want to go here? Now, where 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 are you this weekend? Um, actually, uh, Brian gave me a week off. Oh, uh, so uh, there's, there's, wow. Yeah, yeah. There's only uh, there's only four games yeah. this week, and he said, uh, you know, him and him and Coho got together and had a quick discussion about the fact that. You know, this would be mentally, uh, mentally draining and uh, being, you know, I, I, I went uh, two weeks ago, I had three games last or the week before I had two. And then this past weekend, I, I had two as well. So I've done seven games in, in a span of about uh, 13, 14 days. So um, at 57, I'm going to give the body a break ah. and get ready for uh, hopefully some playoff assignments. Hop in the ice bath. Enjoy your week off here in beautiful BC, and I'm sure we'll catch up down the road. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it very much, guys. Keep up the good work, and uh, and I, I'm, I'm happy that you two got to call my 400th game. That was uh, I appreciated that. As were we. There is Todd LeBranche, 400 in the National Cross League. No other NLL official has official, has 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 reached that plateau. Spit it out. Yeah, Spit it out. I'm, I'm Spit a little it choked out. up about the whole thing, to be honest with you, man. It's an incredible I'm a, accomplishment. I'm a little disappointed that neither one of us got a good question I was... that interview because I thought there was some good questions <laughs> right. in there, but he wasn't going to lob what no. he's got us. But you know what? I I want to. I was kind of thinking about this this weekend. Todd LeBranche makes refing look fun and i think if a kid is 15 or 16 and they see that they see that smile and they see the way that he interacts with with coaches and players i think that makes teenagers want to become a referee and there's not many i think that you can you can point that out as and go you know what that looks fun he's got a great rapport looks like a great communicator and has having fun out there and i think that is what will make kids want to become referees one day just watching the greatest to do it 400 games played so congrats and thanks thanks to todd and those are the best officials the ones that communicate with you not only on the floor during play but in between plays are willing to have candid conversations with you and just sometimes just let you get your emotions out and and just take it if if that's what needs to happen and Todd wasn't really great at that early in his career but he has really become really good at that later in his career and I think it takes an official time to to kind of learn how to do that and his personality really shines through when he's officiating a game and I'd like to see more officials kind of let their personality come out while they do their job so congrats to Todd. That was a fantastic conversation. We got one more quarter to go. It's fourth quarter time. Who you got? Lax class locks. And that Evan Schemenauer guy will be back as well. Join us 
as EP 180 continues right after this. Associated Labels and Packaging, a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. With 40 years of experience, an extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. Hey, this is Hall of Famer John Grant Jr. listening to Lax Class. Welcome back to Lax Class as we move into the fourth and final frame here. And uh, lots to talk about in quarter number four. Before we get to all that, I want to let you know we would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast, gave us a five-star review while you're at it, wherever you may be listening to this podcast right now. Don't forget to give us a follow on social media as well. Lacrosse Classified on Instagram, at LaxClass on Twitter. We got a Facebook page and old school email address as well for you folks not on social media. At lacrosseclassified at gmail.com. Brad Challoner is at Brad Chal. Evan Schemenauer is at Shemlax. And I am at PXP, the number four sports that's how you can find us all appreciate you guys doing that and now let's get him back on the podcast here it's evan Scheminar. this is how we do evan you never sing this is your theme song and you never sing it and i'm sick of it because because brad does such a good job of doing it so why 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 take them over did you did you put out another music take this week i thought i saw you tweet something about i've got too many tweets out there to know what you're talking about <laughs> you made another music tweet and i was like wait a second well you dig that up uh meanwhile evan no i won't i won't dig that up let me you can rewind that no, i want no. not to put not to put evan on the spot i want to know if you've got the updated chance of playoff percentages you can maybe share with us because you are the um token nerd of the show google docs extraordinary you have a lot of time putting google docs and stuff together and jumbo and i just kind of wait for the league email to tell us who's officially eliminated but what have you got for for odds of making it right now i have on first off this is actually going to be up on uh lacrosse flash just a few hours after we take this so if anybody wants to go take a look at every scenario for every team it's going to be up there didn't calculate the odds on every team, but Halifax, what is it? It's a 0.78% chance that they miss. It is literally run the gauntlet bad that they it's it's everything from they have to lose out, Panther City has to win out, and a whole bunch of other things have to happen before they're eliminated. Uh, Saskatchewan, what is it? It's a 1.56% chance they make it, which trying to recall what it was but it's they so have to win out Georgia has to lose out. yeah so it's gone up it, it's yeah they have to win out Georgia has to lose down keep in mind that's why the odds went up because they won Georgia lost I think it is New York has to beat or sorry Albany has to beat New York because they got to get Albany out of that tie break because the only team they can now beat is Georgia for fifth if Georgia falls to fifth and then even on top of that they have to win the strength of schedule tiebreaker so it's a little bit crazy how about New Vancouver? York actually has Vancouver? gone up to Vancouver. Got it. Vancouver's done. Okay. There's nothing there. So of um, of the of the teams that are really in the hunt in let's say Georgia, Philly, Albany, Panther City, who has the best chances of 
let's say fourth in the, who has best chances of fourth in the East and fourth in the West? Uh, it's a bit of a coin flip actually for fourth in the East because Panther city and Saskatchewan play one another in the last game of the regular season. So assuming Saskatchewan beats San Diego, they have to do that first. And then they beat Panther city. They're guaranteed fourth place. Wow. If anything else happens, then it's not, but the problem for Saskatchewan is they lost Albany. They, uh, they can't catch Halifax as Halifax finishes fifth. They can't catch Philly for fifth because the only way Philly finishes fifth is if they beat Georgia. Uh, and although Philly can go better than fifth, but they, they have to win. Philly's a 50, 50 win in lose out. That's simple. Um, and this is why I don't. And then New York actually has the best strength of victory percentage because they beat, they beat Toronto. I believe they beat the bandits. So they have this ridiculously strong strength of victory. So the only team that Saskatchewan can beat in that four or five is Georgia. Okay. This so is I'm why still, I just I'm wait. still having a trouble. For, I just want, okay. So, so, I mean, so another way so of phrasing okay. this to clarify yeah. it for the people, if Evan, give me the Evan Schemenauer, what you think, what you think will happen. Who do you think will finish fourth in the West and fourth in the East? Okay. So, well, we can go third in the East, third in the East. It is, uh, it's three quarters chance that it's Halifax still because they have so many tie break uh, situations that they just, it's going to be difficult for them to win. I'm just going to pull up the rest of it. Just so I got it right for you guys. Fourth place. It's a bit of a mixed bag. Georgia has the best <laughs> shot at take it. Take a stance here, Evan, make a prediction. Georgia. Keep in mind, Georgia, Philly, that last game of the season is going to determine kind of who's in who's out there albany most likely is going to finish in fifth but the benefit for albany is if it's saskatchewan the tie break they beat saskatchewan in the season so if it's panther city and panther city's nine and nine it's a strength of schedule situation where they are one game apart evan at this point evan so i'm hearing i'm hearing albany in who's it gonna be fourth in the east fourth in the west give me your prediction Fifth, so fifth in the fifth in the east, fourth Evan, in the west. fourth in the east, fourth <laughs> in the west. Give okay, so, me your prediction. So I think Georgia is fourth in the in the east. Okay. I think they win that game against Philly, and I think Albany gets the crossover because right. a lot of things have to happen. That's yes, all we, we needed we to hear. Good lord! You got to remember how many numbers Thank are going you. through my Let's head. Let's play. Who you got? It's time once again to play your favorite podcast game. Who you got? Who you got? Good Lord, that was painful. Who you got? Brought to you by Stampede Attack in Western That was wonderful. That well, was the, the, the tie break scenarios are six pages long, guys. Yeah. This vintage, vintage Schemenauer, and I'm loving every minute of it. Holy, yeah. start singing Montel Jordan again. Uh, <laughs> did you know that Stampy Tech carries Canada's largest selection of Wrangler jeans for men's? You guys probably did, but people new to the podcast might. Kids, ladies, men, they have them all. Classic cut, premium denim, Georgia straight, stretch fit, retro. They got it all. They're Canada's biggest dealer of Wrangler. All in a good size and selection for virtually anybody. Stampede Tack and Western Wear, Cloverdale, Highway 10, 180th, 1966. 
Stampede.ca, where shopping online is still shopping local. Week 20, who you got winner is our good buddy. Brad, you just got a jersey from this guy. David Salisbury, he's already won the week, has he not? He did a couple of years ago, I think. Okay. He well, he won this week. Because week, when did. I saw him in Sask, I was like urging him to <laughs> to take this a little bit more seriously. And then sure enough, he he does. And he was the weekly winner. He's so in congrats. contention for, well, for the overall now, be sending too. A jersey. <laughs> I, hey, he's got a few, gonna... I think he's got a few extras I can, uh, <laughs> I can take off his head. Well, congratulations to David, who is now right in the mix for the overall title as well. Renee still up at the top there, but uh, David right in the mix. I did okay this week, but I lost my eight and my seven game, which absolutely just punished me this past week. So look for a little rebound for yours yeah. truly. Uh, Challenger, I don't think you were that great either, Evan. You did okay as well. I did okay. I, I, I gained a few points on you guys again. Yeah, so whatever. And I'm back but above you, Jumbo. So that's that's all I'm sort of playing for now. The, the problem, Push you out of the playoffs. The problem this week, though, is that the 7, 6, and 5 are virtually coin flips. Mm. And there's only four games, so you can't put them any lower. And it's anybody's game this week. All right, let's go. Let's do this. Evan, you're hosting. I am hosting. So here is here it is the Friday nighter, the nine and seven Calgary Roughnecks. They're in the playoffs, but they can start to secure a home playoff game if they they put on a winning streak here. They're going to Rochester, three and thirteen. Jake Elliott, who you got? Roughnecks for an eight. I think they're going to get it done. I think Calgary's finishing with a home playoff game. Brad Chandler, who you got? Yeah, I tough to argue. Tough to argue with that. I do think they're the Saddle Dome could be hosting a first round postseason game, which is just unreal stuff from the Calgary Roughnecks. Their first five game winning streak, Adam Levy Nugget, since the 2012 season. Um, you might have to go back further to find a six game winning streak for the Calgary Roughnecks, but I think they do it this weekend. This game is supposed to happen way uh, December, or January. Yeah. I think it was the week after Christmas. This yeah. game was supposed to be happening. So. Plunked down a little late in the season. Bad travel day for Calgary, but it won't matter. They'll beat Rochester. Just my eight game. Yeah, that is actually the problem historically with these two is that Calgary has that rough travel schedule and they lose this game. But Rochester, it's just not happening right now. Unless Ryland Hartley makes a surprise appearance, I, I don't see it happening as Rochester. It's Calgary for an eight for me as well. And then we get three games on Saturday, all spaced an hour apart. Love it. First up, it's... Nine and seven Halifax still needs a win to get into the playoffs. Playing the six and ten New York Riptide, who have a long shot of getting in. Brad Chalner, who you got? Man, oh man. Um, uh, uh, this, actually, this, one's, this, one, no, this one's this one's not so. Uh, I, I think this is this is my New York with a seven game. I'm just not seeing anything that I'm liking from the Halifax Thunderbirds right now. They're not great outside of the nest. They're going into New York, who is treating every game like a playoff game right now. And I think the Riptide come up with this one and make things really interesting the next two weeks. Jake Kelly, who you got? Same. I just do not like the direction that the Halifax Thunderbirds have been going for the last several weeks now. Riptide are going in the other direction. Add to the fact that they're at home and their season is on the line here. Give me the Riptide. Another 10 points for Jeffrey T. And Warning issued. Oh, there's a hot take. What do you got? Oh, there's another 10-point night. Or he, or hey, we're talking set your seven game? That's my seven. Yeah, I just changed it. It was uh, my five, but Brad's going seven, so I'm going seven. And I'm going seven, too. I'll tell you this. If you want to see a sweet odd on Cool Bet, the Riptide are a major 
underdog don't, don't, on don't full bets. Don't spoil so, lax class locks here, Evan. Let's well, we stick, to the, that, stick to the template. Uh, same, same situation here. It, it's just Halifax doesn't have it right now. So we could have a very interesting final week. Then an hour later, down in Fort Worth, Texas, 8-8 eight and eight Georgia Swarm. They need this one to start to secure their future. Playing Panther City seven and nine, they need this one to have that crossover spot. Jake Elliott, who you got? Uh, Coin time? No, I'm taking Panther City. I, I'm going home team here. Two desperate, desperate lacrosse teams. I'm just ta- I I could flip a coin, but my brain is telling me Panther City here. And once in a while, that thing up there is right. So give me Panther City. And give me a six because I'm going eight, seven, six, five, just because it looks cool on my screen. Brad Chandler, who you got? Ooh, this one's an ooh for sure. I, I really don't know which direction to go in this game, honestly, guys. Like, Georgia has been up and down. Panther City, when they're hot, they're hot. Final home game in the regular season for Panther City, and I know they want to put on a show for the fans in Fort Worth and really set things off on, a, on the right foot. And even if this is their last game, at home, they're going to try to create some fireworks. I got to take the Panther City Lacrosse Club. It's going to be my sixth game just because I'm a little bit more confused about the next game we're going to be talking about. So give me the home team of the six, guys. We're taking a sweep here. I got Panther City for a five, and I just don't like where Georgia headed after that last game. Panther City is on a bit of a mission, and I think the youngsters take them in this one. And then at the Sastel Center, 9-7, and seven, San Diego Seals struggling hard lately, playing the suddenly hot Saskatchewan Rush at 6-10. and 10. Brad Challenger, you got? TSN Game of the Week. Myself, Teddy Jenner, Chantel Shan, Saturday night from Saskatel. Final regular season home game for Saskatchewan. Maybe the final game at Sastel Center for Chris Corbeil. Um, Jeff, Jeff Shatler for sure. Kyle, Kyle Rubish, Rubish, maybe Ryan Dilks, maybe yeah. like there's a lot going on here. And then you got San Diego who should be a first place team. They've lost five in a row. They also went into Saskatchewan earlier this year under crazy circumstances and won that game with like what, seven, eight on the COVID list. Justin Getty and um, Justin Getty coming in. So this is, I'm, I'm exercising my coin flip oh, on this game because I don't know where sissy. this one's going. It's obviously my five game, but. Here's my corn flip. Heads is the rush. Tails are the seals. Here we go. I got heads. Saskatchewan rush for a five. We're going to be boring this week. I got the rush for a six. Uh, and... Excuse me, Evan. Yeah? It's my turn. You just made your pick. Oh, sorry. For... Yeah, thank you. Oh, sorry, I forgot, Jake. Ellie, you got? I got the rush as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, Sandy, like Brad said, losers of five in a row. They're banged up. The rush... Everything on the line for them and, and with all the nostalgia and all the rest of it. Give me the rush here for a five. And I got the rush for six. Like I said before, Frankie's slowing down. And the rest of the team is hurting. I don't see it happening. It'll make it, They're fortunate that they got the tie break early in the season so that they're, they're in the playoffs. But I think the rush keep that – well, they keep that 1.6% chance alive depending upon what happens with Georgia. But 
rush for a six. And I'll tell you this, this week, you better have your tiebreaker perfect because it's going to be needed. Yeah, we're going to have some ties at the top of the table. So mark down your tiebreaker accordingly. Still a couple of weeks left to win the weekly prize in the grand champion prize pack over 300 blundstone boots and a bunch of other goodies courtesy of stampede tack and western wear is within reach of a handful of people with a couple of weeks to go so good luck to everybody down the stretch here who you got is done and now it's time for lax glass locks it's locked When you're right 52% of the time, you're wrong 48% of the time. I hereby declare luck of the week. Ooh, that's a big luck, all right. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, money, money. Oh, yes, indeed, fellas. Uh, the money dropped there on the end intro as uh, you two didn't win yours truly though put the money the jumbo box in the people's pockets this past weekend as the parlay came through so uh, I get to juice it up here a little bit this week courtesy of our good friends at cool bet Canada coolbet.com and this is when things really start to get fun so if you've been on the fence here listening to the podcast and you haven't really uh, do I do now is the time people sign up for cool bet put in the bonus code lax class and cool bet Canada will match you up to $200 get in the action here for playoff time and coming down the stretch and like I mentioned tons of other sports up there on the website to sprinkle around on as well coolbet.com sign up Bonus code LAXCLASS. Get free money. Stay cool. Bet responsibly. I'll uh, wait. People can wait for, for, for my parlay here. Brad, you want to go first? I'll go first here, fellas. And as Evan mentioned earlier, a little juicy number for the New York Riptide at plus 160. They're the biggest underdog of the week so you have to take that on the money line against the Halifax Thunderbirds I like Calgary Roughnecks on the money line at minus 185 just to round out the parlay and then the other stat that I like is uh, the handicap Panther City Lacrosse Club plus 1.5 add those three up together that's odds of 621 pretty good on this four game weekend week so that's without a boost you're at 621 20 bucks will win you 144 there you go Evan Bring it. I think I got the record set for the biggest parlay of the year here. So, go, Babe Ruth. So, I'm I'm juicing up the Calgary Rochester game to the minus 1.5. I think Calgary wins this by a handful. So, let's take the 1.5 at minus 105. Same as Brad, I've got the Riptide on the money line plus 160. And the one we also all took, Panther City Lacrosse Club, is a plus 140 at home. Add that all up. It is total odds of plus eleven eighteen oh. for a payout of two forty three sixty six. And I don't think that that's unreasonable. Say that again. Plus one eleven eighteen for a payout of two forty three sixty six. And those are easy games in my mind. Good lord. All right. Well, unfortunately, you 
didn't win last week, Evan. So this will be uh, the juicer here, courtesy of Cool Bet Canada. And last week, I told the people I like to keep things symmetrical and kind of stay in the same category as far as over-under, point spread, money line. Well, I went three point spreads last week, and they all came home. So why would I change a winning formula here for the people? Riptide at plus 1.5, Panther City at plus 1.5, and the Saskatchewan Rush at 1.5, plus 1.5. Add it up, uh, courtesy of Cool Bet, at a plus 530, 20 jumbo bucks gets you a cool bet return of an even 126 jumbo bucks. Thank me later. Put it in your bank account. Go spend it now. Buy yourself a new pair of Wrangler jeans at Stampede Tack. <laughs> Because you're getting them for free if you follow along here with the Lax Class Parlay of the Week. And I'll tell you one thing. Somebody texted me. They have the same parlay I did, but they added Saskatchewan plus 1.5. That is a plus 1885. (laughs) 20 bucks pays just shy of 400. All right, fellas. uh, Nice work on the pod once again this week. Uh, Big thank you goes out to our sponsor, Stampede Tack, Rycor Construction, Associated Labels and Packaging, which I think I failed to mention earlier in the program. We thank those guys so much for their continued support. Cool Bet Canada, the Vancouver Warriors, of course, as well. We'll be giving away our final pair of tickets next week for the Warriors game on the 30th as well. So stay tuned for that. Thanks to everybody who tuned into the program. We'll be back next week, every week, with a fresh podcast for you right here on the home of it, Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Thanks to Dean Farrell and Todd LeBranche for stopping by the podcast as well. But for now, we got to get out of here for Evan Shemner, or Brad Schellner, or Ben Jake Elliott for the fastest game on two feet. For the creator, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay classified.